We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Hello, everyone, and welcome to the Spurs Up Show, best Gamecocks podcast on the internet. Today is Monday, December the 6th, 2021. Today's show, what a fun day at the CLA, folks. I break down South Carolina's big 80-67 to 67 win over the Georgetown Hoyas. The Gamecocks improved to 6-2 and two early in this 2021-2022 basketball season. Guys, I'll break down the game and just what happened at Colonial Life Arena in its entirety. Also, I give my biggest takeaway from yesterday's win. We also, of course, hand out the Shooter Shoot Award, and I'll talk what's next for Frank Martin's squad. As again, the Gamecocks look to continue to build momentum early in in this season. Also, it's officially official. South Carolina football is Duke's Mayo Bowl bound. Guys, I'll give my immediate reactions, talk about the game lightly. Also, break down the Gamecocks opponent, the North Carolina Tar Heels against South Carolina and North Carolina are set to do battle yet again at Bank of America Stadium in Charlotte, North Carolina. Also, guys, we've got news and notes your listener questions, and a fantastic conversation, guys. A throwback interview with former Gamecocks quarterback Anthony Wright, one of the all-time greats to wear the garnet in black, and a conversation that I know you are sure to enjoy, folks. We have got a packed show for you here on this Monday. And, of course, as always, it's brought to you by our friends over at Upstate Movers Group. Guys, any moving needs you might have this holiday season or going into the 2022 calendar year as well, be sure to contact our friends over at Upstate Movers Group. You can find them on social media at Upstate Movers Group. Of course, if you have any other questions, go to their website, upstatemoversgroup.com. That's upstatemoversgroup.com. Be sure to check them out and tell them Chris from the Spurs Up Show sent you. Let's get it. Happy Monday. Hope you're all doing well. I'm Chris Phillips, host of the Spurs Up show. As always, we have got a packed show. A lot to get into here on a Monday, and I hope this show 
is finding you well, whether you're in the office, you're on the job, you're on the commute, you're in class, maybe, hey, you're enduring exam week, maybe you got the day off, whatever it is, folks, Can hope you're all doing well, hope you had a fantastic weekend, by the way, I want to start there just by saying this, you know, this was the first weekend since before the football season started that yours truly was in the city of Columbia with no Gamecocks football to watch, no tailgate to go to, no watch party to host, anything like that. So I went into this past weekend really with no plans, no expectations, or anything too crazy happening. But I'm just reminded how, how awesome the city of Columbia is and how awesome the people of the city of Columbia are. You know, I ran into people that are huge fans and supporters of the Spurs Up show, and there's, there's some that I know for a fact are tuned in right now or listening. So, again, I hope you're doing well. And uh, I just wanted to say, though, guys, I truly do appreciate everybody that rocks and rolls with everything we do and supports and and shows love, man. It, it's so cool just being out and about in the city and really feeling the love from the city and the people in the city and really supporting the Spurs Up show and supporting the merch and supporting the business, the podcast, all of the content, everything we do, man. So, again, I just want to say thank you, thank you, thank you. I know it's uh, it's something that I say it a lot, and I know people. some people actually like to pick at me for it because I'm – I'm, uh, you know, I, I'm someone that you get in a groove saying certain things and, and you have your your go to slogans, if you will. But uh, I just believe in gratitude, man. I believe in gratitude and I believe in saying thanks and I believe in, you know, never losing that. Again, I really believe in leading your life with service and gratitude and, and always, always saying thank you to people. So, again, guys, thank you all so much. TSUS would not be what it is and what it's becoming uh, without your love and support. And again, guys, as we get closer to New Year's Eve, and the calendar flipping to the 2022 year, you know, it's something that we've always done, and I will definitely do it again this year, is celebrate successes with you all in regards to look back at what we did in 2021, what our future plans are in 2022 or the upcoming year, if you will. And, you know, I was actually able to look at some numbers over the weekend in regards to our merchandise sales and merch as a whole. And, and Guys, when you hear the numbers, because I'm going to wait a little bit, but I'm going to tell you guys the numbers and just how crazy it is what we've done over the last year, really, which has been uh, the growth, the merch you've seen the biggest has been in the last year. I can't wait to share that with you guys because, again, it's, you know, TSUS and what I'm doing, it would be nothing without you guys and your love and support, man. So, truly, thank you all so much. And, again, it was really cool to just hang out in Columbia this weekend and go out and about and see a lot of friends that maybe I hadn't caught up with in a while because we've been so busy with football. And then, But also running into others that um, are just bystanders, supporters, if you will, fans of the show. And, again, really rock and roll what we do, man. I just want to say thank you, thank you, thank you so much. It's it's truly a blessing. It's something I'll never take for granted. And I just I, I love feeling the love from the city and meeting great Gamecock fans and just great people as a whole, man. It's it's uh, it's really, really cool. So, again, I just want you to know, if you ever see me out and about and you take time to say what's up, thank you, thank you. I genuinely, truly do appreciate it. It's stuff like that that really keeps us going and uh, makes you keep perspective and say, man, I, I feel like the, like the luckiest person in the world. I get to do what I do and do it for a living and chase my dreams and passions and goals and fuel those things. And I mean, it's incredible, man. So again, thank you all so much. I know I'm rambling right now, but again, I hope you all had a fantastic weekend. Uh, maybe it was a weekend watching football. Maybe it was a weekend detoxing from football, if you will, after the Gamecocks regular season. But of course, on Sunday, we had Gamecocks basketball to partake in, and that's where we're going to start because like I told you guys earlier, this is a victory Monday. And folks, the fun is in the winning. And Sunday afternoon yesterday was a damn fun one 
at the CLA. Is South going to – not only do they bounce back from their loss at Coastal Carolina last Wednesday, but they bounce back in emphatic fashion, beating the hell really out of Georgetown 80-67. to 67. You know, I expected this team, although I picked them to lose, I, I did expect this team coming home to play much better basketball. I, I thought that the Coastal Carolina game really just felt like the perfect storm, if you would. And I'm not trying to make excuses, guys. That was a terrible game. We played terrible basketball. We did things you absolutely cannot do and win games and be successful. And I was just as upset and frustrated and agitated as you all were after that game. But I did expect coming home, you know, I thought this team would play with much greater energy, much greater emotion, much greater tenacity. And, you know, I really thought, again, as we've talked with Shane Beamer's team, as we talked with the Gamecocks football team, Things are not always or things are not normally as great as they seem. Things are not normally as bad as they seem. And I really thought to myself, okay, I don't think the Gamecocks are as bad as we saw them play at the HTC Center in Conway South. Kind of, you know, you were missing Jermaine Kusnard. Again, it just felt like the perfect storm early. It felt like Coastal Carolina. They had all the momentum from opening tip. They were the aggressor. They were attacking you, attacking you, attacking you. And I thought this game yesterday, it really just completely flipped the script. Um, Obviously, you shot much better, shooting 46% from the field and 25% from three-point range. You know, I thought, of course, it was a little bit sloppy early on, a little bit of a slow start. And also, just call it what it is. Georgetown is not a great basketball team this year, right? You moved to six and two. Georgetown falls a three and four. Uh, What Patrick Ewing is doing again, Georgetown, we think of Georgetown, this great program, historic program, won national titles, you know, features some of the best players to ever play the game of basketball. That's not who Georgetown is right now. Bottom line, you know, no, no, no debate. If you watch that game yesterday, you can tell, you know, Georgetown is not a very good team. But again, take nothing away and be sure to tip your cap and give credit to Frank Martin's squad and what his boys did. Because, again, you think about it, guys. Since that Coastal game, all this team heard was how bad they are. Some people were just wanting to mail it in and say the season's over. Frank Martin should be fired. And, again, guys, we've had the Frank Martin discussion, and I'm not changing my stance on Frank Martin. I'm not backing off anything I've said about Frank Martin. Again, I have not called for Frank Martin's firing in any way. I have said there are expectations for this season, and if those expectations aren't met, then I think you have to look yourself in the mirror and possibly weigh the options of should we make a change or should we not. But even after losing the Coastal, Right. Like it's so early in the season still. And, you know, I said it last week. If you can go two and one or better against Georgetown, Florida State, and Clemson, right? Then I think you still feel pretty good, pretty good about the prospects of going 10 or 10 and three or better in the non conference, which I think would set you up very well going into SEC play to make a run in conference play. And who knows where you find yourself in late February at that point. And you completed the first leg of that yesterday by beating Georgetown. Again, I, I loved the way South kind of bounced back, the way they played. That's really what stood out to me more than anything. Um, obviously, yes, they shot the ball better. Uh, a guy like Wildens Levesque had an incredible game. I thought Keyshawn Bryant played solid basketball. James Reese played good basketball. Our guy Eric Stevenson played good basketball. Jacoby Wright, I thought, played really good basketball. But the tenacity, the aggression, the the want to, the get after it, the hustle that this team played with, you know, fighting for loose balls and jump balls and, and, and you know, fighting on the glass and playing really tenacious defense. You know, Patrick Ewing actually mentioned that 
after the game that, you know, you play a Frank Martin team, this is what you're going to get. This is what you expect. And again, what's so much fun to watch, though, what you saw yesterday is when you're playing that type of defense, when a Frank Martin team is playing that type of really tough, tenacious, nagging defense, and they're also shooting the ball well. Again, I, I did not think this team was going to have another flat performance like it did at Coastal, and sure enough, it did not. And again, I think this is something you can really build with, because guess what, guys? Who gives a damn if Georgetown's not the Georgetown of old? Who gives, you know, because the Gamecocks open as a five-point favorite, right? And we're all sitting there like, what in the world's going on? But still, this is one of those wins, I think, that can really build confidence. You can hang your hat on. Again, obviously, guys, you don't play for another week as this is exam week, so everybody's going to be busy with exams. You don't play again until Sunday against Florida State, which is, again, a really, really big one in Rock Hill in the, in the No Room for Racism Classic. But um, I think you can use this Georgetown game as, you know, we talked about you needed to flush it, right? One of the keys to the game was flush that coastal game. Have a short memory. Get that one out of your mind. You have a performance like you had on Sunday. I think it can really help you do that. Really forget that Coastal Carolina game and uh, feel good about yourself. Have something to feel good about. But overall, man, the hustle, the tenacity, the physicality. You know, it was a bad day to be a rim, by the way. It's a bad, bad, bad day to be a rim and a bad day to be a guy who's going to get put on a poster. Because I tell you what, there were a couple of moments, posterizer moments, from the Gamecocks against Georgetown. So much fun to watch. I mean, you think Keyshawn Bryant, Will Levesque, Devin Carter had an incredible dunk as well. Some high flyers. You know, I did not even know the Gamecocks had that much of a capability because it was an absolute dunking clinic at the CLA. But again, I, I thought this was a team, again, played the right way, played really tough defense, was smart on the offensive side. Again, it's still too sloppy. It's still too sloppy, no question. Uh, the turnovers are there, but again, only 10 turnovers. It was really sloppy early on. You forced Georgetown into 17 turnovers. You had six steals on the day. Um, so again, they actually out-rebounded out you 47 to 43, but I thought you were very, very physical uh, on the glass as well. And then again, guys, like I said, what you did from the field, shooting 46%, 25% for three, and you held them to just 33% from the field and 21% from three-point range. Again, a, a great job, great bounce back win, one you, one you absolutely had to have, guys. Again, you got to protect your home floor. You got to protect your home floor, especially in the non-conference. And I thought that was a great win. I thought it was a great win overall. And, you know, I, I, I still say, you know, if, if you'd have told me that South going to right now, and I understand you're building your resume, and that Coastal Carolina game, guys, it certainly could come back to bite you late in the season. But, uh, you know, if you'd have told me that South going to be 6-2 and two right now, I would have taken it. I, I would have been hard-pressed to not take that record. Granted, I don't love what happened Wednesday against Coastal. And that, and that was honestly, guys, the thought. I know I keep bringing up that game against Coastal Carolina. And the reason I am, though, is because that was the thing that I kept thinking. The entire basketball game, sitting in that arena, I, I just kept saying to myself, I can't believe this team lost that game just a couple of days ago. I, I could not believe it was the same basketball team. But again, guys, that's college basketball. And upsets happen, and you never know what might happen when you go on the road to a 4,000-seat gym, and weird things can happen. So, again, I think the lesson learned is don't do that again. Don't go back to Coastal Carolina. Don't take any of these weird road trips. But, uh, no, seriously, man, again, a great bounce-back win. I thought playing with tenacity, playing with toughness. Anytime Frank Martin's teams are playing that type of defense, they're going to give themselves a great chance to win clean up some of the sloppiness. I think tighten it up for sure. It's only going to get tougher. I think Florida State is a much better team than Georgetown. Then you'll take on Allen on Tuesday. That'll be a blowout win for sure. 
And then you've got the annual rivalry matchup on December the 18th on the road, on the road, which again will only be your second true road game. So that'll be something to watch for in that one. But uh, no, great win. Great Sunday. A lot of fun, man. Watching Sal going to do what they did against Georgetown. And again, maybe this isn't the Georgetown old. Certainly it's not, but it's still Georgetown basketball. And to see the Gamecocks go out there and win by 13 over a Patrick Ewing coach, Georgetown Hoyas team, had an absolute blast. And I thought the energy also, by the way, in CLA, for those that were there, I thought the energy inside CLA, you know, for it being a Sunday afternoon game, um, you know, Pretty damn good. I thought Gamecock fans were really into it. Again, I, th- I think Gamecock fans, I think we all really want to be excited for this basketball team because this team is fun to watch, guys. I wasn't blowing smoke of your ass just a couple of weeks ago when I said, get out to CLA. This is a fun team to watch. And again, when they go cold, it's just like any other basketball team. When this team goes cold, it's ugly. No questions asked. But I'll tell you what, man, when this team's feeling it, when this team's confident, when these shots are falling for these guys, it is a ton of fun because there are some legit shooters. There are some really fun young guys, all these transfers, obviously. I think Wilden's Levesque, what he's doing down low, uh, the return of Keyshawn Bryant, he played really good basketball yesterday. So uh, get out and watch these guys. Again, it's a ton of fun. Yesterday was an absolute blast, the CLA, all the dunking going on, a bunch of sports center top 10 nominee plays. And uh, again, The biggest takeaway is not just the fact you won, but how you played. The tenacity, the toughness, the physicality, the hustle. That's one of the big reasons you won the game. South kind of out-hustled Georgetown. No questions asked about it. Guys, let's move into my biggest takeaway, though, from yesterday. What is my biggest takeaway from South Carolina's 80-67 to win over Georgetown? And I just mentioned it, by the way. And it's a guy, you know, he doesn't get a ton of love because I think this is a team, certainly, that does not work inside to out. This is a team that wants to shoot the three ball. Uh, you know, they're going to pull up and shoot jumpers, and they but they want to they want to live on the outside. I, I feel like we live and die with a three pointer at this point, and and that's totally fine and dandy when they're going in. You can do that and what have you. But my biggest takeaway is this: Wilden's Levesque is quietly one of the best pieces on this team. Quietly one of the best pieces on this team because again, fourteen points, four rebounds, six for eight field goals. The guy all of a sudden has been automatic. From the free throw line. I don't know what's gotten into Wilkins Lebeck at the free throw line. Also had two steals as well. He's a big physical presence. You know, there were as many blocks in that game yesterday from a Gamecocks men's game as I can remember. Again, the physicality down low, this, the presence he's providing you down there right now. Wilkins Lebeck is playing some really, really, really good basketball. And again, guys, he's quietly turned himself into one of the best pieces, in my opinion, on this Gamecocks basketball team. So again, my biggest takeaway, Wilden's Levesque, hey, he's a ball player. He's a stud. I think he's going to be a dude you can lean on all season long. With that being said, guys, let's move into the Shooter Shoot Award for yesterday's game against Georgetown. Surprise, surprise, it is Wilden's Levesque. Guys, like I said, that stat line, 14 points, four rebounds, six for eight on field goals, two for two on free throws, and two steals. Again, I thought... Him on the inside, his presence, again, by the way, guys, that led the Gamecocks in scoring with those 14 points he had. But even more so, just his presence down there, man, and the physicality, and the Gamecocks able to win the boards, and, you know, some of the big momentum-changing dunks he had and plays he had. I thought he played a phenomenal game and really was a major, obviously a huge contributor in this win yesterday at CLA. So, again, guys, the Shooter Shoot Award for the win over Georgetown goes to none other than Wilden's Levesque. All right, guys, let's talk what's next for Gamecocks basketball. Guys, like I said, exam week this week, so no game during the week. However, 
The Gamecocks will return to action this upcoming Sunday, December the 12th, in Rock Hill against the Florida State Seminoles, a noon tip-off in the No Room for Racism Classic. And again, guys, Friday of this week, we'll have a full game breakdown preview, similar to what we did last week going into Georgetown. But uh, that'll be a highly anticipated game. Florida State's a quality team. That will be a quality win for South Carolina guys. And like I said, you beat Georgetown on your home floor. Congratulations. If you can beat FSU, if you can beat FSU, you talk about building momentum and you know putting that Coastal Carolina loss on the back burner and putting that one behind you, you beat Florida State, all of a sudden, you know, the narrative swings back to, hey, maybe this basketball team can do something. Maybe they can go on a run into SEC play. Maybe, just maybe, this is a team that, yes, it hit a bump in the road, but it will not be defined by it. So, again, final thing, great job by Frank Martin and this squad. Guys, I will tell you this, keep the energy consistent. You're hearing the sound of my voice. You're a Gamecocks basketball fan. Keep the energy consistent. If you were calling for Frank Martin's head late in the week last week and, and just saying this team stunk and canceled the season, I'm not saying you got to crown him. I'm not saying throw a parade, but at least be able to tip your cap and acknowledge a job well done. When the Gamecocks are able to bounce back, fight adversity, fight all the outside noise, and come out and play good basketball. So, again, quality win, great win for Carolina, beating Georgetown, moving to 6-2 and two early in this 2021-2022 basketball season. All right, guys, let's get off the hardwood and on to the gridiron because, folks, it is officially official after weeks of projections and rumors and where are the Gamecocks going bowling. It officially came out yesterday afternoon. South Carolina will be heading back to Charlotte, North Carolina for the Duke's Mayo Bowl on December the 30th to take on none other than the North Carolina Tar Heels, an 11.30 a.m. kickoff on ESPN. Now, selfishly, guys, my first thought in this game is this. The irony, I would be remiss if I, if I did not mention the irony of this matchup and what happened the last time these two teams played at B of A and the last time that yours truly watched the Gamecocks play at B of A. And of course, if you don't know what the heck I'm talking about, when these two teams played the first game of the 2019 season and what happened the first game of that 2019 season, well, Sam Howell is a true freshman. Mac Brown is a first-year head coach, led the Tar Heels to a win over the Gamecocks. And yours truly, of course, and really what I would say, guys, honestly, because TSUS, I mean, I'd still moved to Columbia and I was doing it full time, like just gotten there in August. That was the first real big splash moment, if you will, though, for the business. That, that really, truly, honestly, guys, put TSUS on the map. For, for lack of a better way of putting it, it put the Spurs up show and yours truly on the map. So again, the matchup came out. I was just like, God, the irony of this, that that was the beginning of the end for the last head coach and the last regime. And you really look at this game now for Shane Beamer as this could be the beginning of the beginning, if you will, like really the start of something big going to the 2022 football season and continue to build momentum within the program and elevating expectations and slowly but surely trying to get back or at least get closer to what you were under Steve Spurrier from 2010 to 2013. So, you know, I, I know some people are going to balk at this matchup. Oh, my God, we're going back to Charlotte. It's a house of horrors. 
you know, first things first, guys, this. I was not going to be hard to please because I'm just happy the Gamecocks are going to a bowl game. Selfishly, I'm happy. South Carolina has another football game that yours truly gets to talk about and break down and dissect and give key matchups and give a preview and give a prediction. I am thrilled to watch South Carolina play another football game in this season. And, you know, while I do understand where people are coming from, that it's like you almost have like, the North Carolina school fatigue where it's like, dude, we've played North Carolina. We've played East Carolina. We've played NC state. Like, can we not get some more unique matchups, play somebody else? You know, I think this is also great for Gamecocks, man. The game being in Charlotte, it's close to Columbia. It's it's close to everyone in the state of South Carolina. Obviously Charlotte is a huge, huge Gamecock hub uh, for alumni. And also, Hey, yours truly lived there for four years. So a great city, a great venue. The only thing I dislike, that 11.30 a.m. kickoff time, barf, that sucks. I'm not going to lie to you. That's terrible. But I, either way, kegs and eggs will be out there early. The TSUS tailgate uh, is in the works, and the plan is that it will be happening. At minimum, yours truly will be out and about, hanging out with people at the tailgates, what have you. But uh, going to be a really good time. And, again, I like the matchup. Again, I, I'm not picky. I uh, just wanted to see Sal kind of go to a bowl game. And I, I know there's some people out there with mixed feelings, but again, guys, keep perspective, right? Keep perspective. South Carolina is back in a bowl game first time since 2018 when they were actually at this building. Um, so there's a lot on the line, a lot at stake. When you talk about redemption, you know, redemption in regards to beating North Carolina, redemption in regards to the last game you played at B of A, redemption when you talk about the last game, the last bowl game you had, which was at B of A. So, again, a lot on the line there, but uh, excited for the matchup, man. South Carolina, North Carolina, the question with UNC will be the big one. Sam Howell, his status, does he play? Will he opt out? Of course, that's going to be something we continue to follow as we count down the days to kickoff. kickoff. Uh, Shane Beamer, which we can go ahead and jump into that, the news and notes. Uh, Beamer did talk in the press conference last night, said that they will begin practice for the bowl game next Monday. So a week from today, he said they're on the road recruiting this week, all that good stuff. Of course, the big thing everyone wants to know, and Shane Beamer talked about it very briefly, is – the coaching staff and what will the coaching staff look like in this bowl game? Will it be Satterfield? Will it be Greg Atkins? Will changes be made? Of course, the coaching carousel happening right now. Coaches are being hired and fired left and right. Shane Beamer was asked, do you expect your current coaching staff to be intact, if you will, when this game is played, as is, by the way, intact as is, but when the game is played on December the 30th? He responded with, yes, and that's it said nothing else. Then there was a almost kind of awkward silence after. And then another question was asked. So I will tell you this, guys. I'll tell you this, because I know that's that's what a lot of you are just tuning in like, Chris, just get to the point. Like That's all I want to know right now. Again, patience is not a popular thing amongst sports fans. I would say just be patient, guys. I, I If I had to bet on it, I don't think Satterfield's here next year. I, I don't think Atkins certainly is here. You know, if it's something where Shane Beamer has his guy picked out and, you know, he wants to wait until after the bowl game, then so be it. I mean, I'm not going to be the person, and you shouldn't either, to tell these coaches, you got to make this move now. You got to make it. If they've got a plan, I promise you guys, I promise you, there is a grander plan behind closed doors then whatever you think should be going on. Because you don't have any clue. That, that's the reality. Nobody really knows what the hell is going on behind closed doors. Nobody knows. So trust in Shane Beamer. If he's going to make moves, he'll make moves. If it's going to be right after the bowl game, what have you. 
But I'm telling you folks right now, where there's smoke, there's fire. There's been a lot of smoke in a lot of different directions and enough to make me feel like I will be, I will be surprised if Marcus Satterfield is your Gamecocks offensive coordinator next year. I, I'll be very surprised. I, I, will, I will almost be expecting a mood to be made after the bowl game in regards to the OC and the O-line coach, what have you. But until then, guys, just buckle in and get ready for the game because I don't think we're going to hear anything. I, I don't think that's going to be something that Shane Beamer is going to want to distract his team with. I don't think it's going to be something that he wants to make uh, a priority instead of worrying about practicing and developing and, and figuring out this roster and recruiting as well. But again, you got to believe there's a grand plan, a grand plan if you're behind closed doors. You got to believe there is. So I would certainly think so. I would certainly think so. But either way, Gamecocks taking on UNC December the 30th. Duke's Mayo Bowl, 1130 kickoff. Very excited for that one. Again, guys, we'll have tons of content as we get closer to the game. And, of course, once practices get going, tons of content. And, of course, then on game week, that game being played on a Thursday. So we will shuffle things accordingly. But, um, of course, we'll have tons of content leading that one, just like a normal game week uh, with the podcast, the Daily the content, all that good stuff. So, again, stay tuned for that. But very very excited for South Carolina to take on North Carolina in the battle of the Carolinas. Maybe just maybe the Gamecocks can get revenge for that 2019 game. And who knows? Yours truly, just for old time's sake, we might have to bring out the, the tank top and the bandana and the gold chains. And maybe I won't even wear sunscreen either. So it's going to be a great time. <laughs> going to be a great time. Uh, all right, guys, let's move to your listener questions. And then we will fire off with our interview here on this Monday. We just have two questions, by the way, because I know I got the question box out late today. Um, ben Smitty 2017, actually with both questions. The first one says, do you think we'll make coaching changes on offense? Again, Ben, I just touched on it, but I, if I had to guess, yes. I think there'll be changes. It's not going to be the exact same coaching staff as you see right now next year. There, no way. It's not. It's not. So, yes, I think changes will be made. Again, is it going to be after the bowl game? Yes, I believe so. Uh, ben Smitty 2017 also says, why does a large portion of our fan base hate Ray Tanner? He isn't that bad as an AD. And, you know, Ben, this is a great question. Um, and I understand Ray Tanner, just like anyone else, is, is judged for his job. You know, he's getting paid a lot of money and he's in a position of power. And whenever you're in that type of position, you're going to get judged harshly and ju judged accordingly. And so when you make a mistake, it's amplified and people want to come down on you for it. But the reason why you don't hear me screaming fire Ray Tanner, because again, that, that energy just feels misguided in the sense of South Carolina loses to coastal Carolina in basketball on Wednesday, fire Ray Tanner. What did Ray Tanner do? Like, what did he do? Ray Tanner did nothing. Ray Tanner didn't coach. Ray Tanner wasn't even in the building. So what did Ray Tanner do? You know, and, and I, I've obviously got a soft spot for Ray Tanner because I'm a baseball guy and I love what he did on the diamond and all that good stuff. But, um, you know, I think what it is, man, what it is, Ben, is, is fans are just frustrated with the men's sports, the University of South Carolina, for lack of a better way of putting it. And, you know, they want somebody to blame. And, you know, you can blame players, you can blame coaches, but why not just blame Ray Tanner when you can blame him? And I understand the must champ thing and the buyout stuff and the mistakes he's made. I totally get it. I'm not sitting here saying, that Ray Tanner is some fantastic athletic director. That's not what I'm saying, but it is kind of strange, Ben, how for some people that's just the ace in their hole when anything goes wrong, anything goes poorly. Oh, it's Ray Tanner's fault. Oh, Tanner doesn't have the stones to do it. Tanner's this, Tanner's that. It's like, I mean, 
At this point, you're just using Ray Tanner as your own personal punching bag. I, it's, it seems weird to me, whatever. I, I, I don't think Ray Tanner, I'll tell you this, I don't think he's going to be the AD much longer. I don't know why he even wants to do it, uh, but I don't think he'll be the AD much longer. I think probably 2022 will be his last year. Um, he's getting up there in age, has grandchildren, you know, family, all that stuff, whatever. So, now, I, you know, I, I don't think he'll be around much longer. But it, it is, I don't know, it, it's it's for some people, the vitriol to Tanner is strange. It, it is, but whatever. It is what it is. You're in that position. You're getting paid that type of money. You make those decisions. You got to live with the results, and you got to live with the consequences. You got to live with the the uh, the feedback and the vitriol from some fans, if you will. So, Anyways, great questions, Ben. Appreciate you all tuning in, by the way. Great show here on this morning, but don't go anywhere. It's not over yet. We've got a fantastic throwback conversation, guys. Great interview. Former Gamecocks quarterback, Anthony Wright. One of the greatest to ever wear the garnet in black. And also, guys, probably the most accomplished NFL Gamecock, certainly at the quarterback position of all time, what he did with the Cowboys. Incredible stuff in the NFL. And again, A1, a great conversation. I mean, again, you could say he's, one of the best, if not the most talented, just pure talent perspective to play the quarterback position at the University of South Carolina. So, again, really good stuff, guys. Really great conversation. Again, appreciate you all tuning in. Thank you all so much for the continued love and support. Appreciate you all rocking and rolling with what we do. Without you all, hey, we wouldn't be doing what we're doing and we wouldn't be, you know, moving the direction we're moving, man. Truly appreciate y'all, man. Much love. Thank you all so much, guys. Hope you have a fantastic rest of your Monday and enjoy this conversation with former Gamecocks quarterback, Anthony Wright. All right, joining us today on the Spurs Up Show is a man that played quarterback for Gamecocks football from 1995 to 1998. He ranks eighth all-time in South Carolina history with passing yards with 5,641. Also ranks seventh all-time in passing touchdowns with 38, also had a very successful NFL career as he played from 1999 to 2007, was also a Super Bowl champion in Super Bowl 42 with the New York Giants. I'm very, very pleased to welcome to the show former Gamecocks quarterback Anthony Wright. Anthony, appreciate you taking the time, man. It's a pleasure to have you on. Man, thanks for having me. I appreciate it. Absolutely. So let's kind of go back to the beginning, Anthony. I'm really curious. You're from Vanceboro, North Carolina. Just kind of talk about – went to West Craven High School in Vanceboro, North Carolina – um, just talk about sort of your recruiting process. What led you to come to South Carolina? Well, uh, I'm from a small town, uh, but I went to a 3A uh, class school in my uh, in North Carolina. Um, and, um, you know, growing up, uh, I had two other brothers. And, uh, you know, I was pretty much the only one that kind of played sports. Um, my older brother, he kind of worked. Um, he was a worker. He one of those guys like work at Bojangles and Western Steer. Then my younger brother, he was just uh, he was just coming along. So um, I end up uh, being one of the better quarterbacks in the country, um, and I started being recruited by South Carolina. At the time, um, I had been going to a lot of ACC schools, a lot you know like North Carolina, NC State, uh, those type of schools, and I hadn't seen anything quite like South Carolina uh, until I went there. And um, so I went to South Carolina when they were playing Clemson. It was a it was a South Carolina Clemson game. They were playing home, and I stepped into the the stadium, and it blew me away. It was just the uh, the the fans, um, um, the atmosphere. Um, it was crazy. And so at that very moment, I was like, man, I'm coming here. You know, I was coming here. And, and really, to be honest with you, uh, 
you know, on top of that, but the probably the number one reason that I, I went to South Carolina at the time was that I wanted to go to a school that was going to throw the ball. Um, and Brad Scott was coming there from, from Florida State at the time. I was a big Charlie Ward fan, and I liked Florida State a lot. And um, I felt like I was going to have a chance to run that offense in that type of environment like South Carolina presented. And so uh, that was really the big uh, selling point for me, that I wanted to go to that school and, and try to be a part of that, uh, that type of situation. No doubt. So you get on campus in 1995 as a true freshman. You uh, you start your career, obviously, as a backup to a guy that wasn't too bad himself for South Carolina behind Steve Tannehill, mm-hmm. who ranks second all-time in yards, number one all-time mm-hmm. in career touchdown passes. Um, obviously, you played sparingly backing him up. But what were you able to take away from Steve Tannehill, who, again, was one of the most you know decorated players in South Carolina history, I would say? Um, um, I, I was able to uh... – I was I watched the, I watched his charisma, um, you know how he handled the media, how he handled the situations um, that he was placed in. Um, you know he really took off with Brad Scott's offense. Brad really gave him uh, the keys to that to that offense. That's when he he really put up a lot of good numbers uh, his senior year, and uh, you know that's when he really 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 took off. Um, so I was able to kind of watch and learn how he did the things that he was able to do. And uh, so I was just trying to to translate uh, my part of, uh, you know, dealing with, uh, I could say media, dealing with uh, the pressure of playing the quarterback position, uh, dealing with playing in the SEC. I was learning all of that through him. And uh, so that when I got my chance, you know, I was going to uh, be able to try to handle it um, as well as he did. So those are the things I pretty much learned from Steve um, while I was there. No doubt. So obviously there's always a transition when you go up from levels, whether it be from, you know, high school to college, college to the professional ranks. What would you say was the biggest transition for you going from playing quarterback at the high school level to playing quarterback in the SEC? Um, it was, I tell you, I tell people this all the time. Um, the best thing that ever happened to me at South Carolina was a guy by the name of John Reeves. And you know, when I first got to South Carolina, my first couple of years, um, maybe just my first year, we had Ricky Bustle. And Ricky Bustle um, was the offensive coordinator. He had come from Virginia Tech. And um, But, you know, Ricky Bustle was more of an option guy, you know, coming from Virginia Tech. So I think that's one of the reasons why he left South Carolina is because he didn't mesh with the uh, four wides throwing the ball type of deal. So the next year, um, in came John Reeves. John Reeves came in, and John Reeves is the person that actually taught me the game of football. He taught me how to study. He taught me what coverages were. He taught me the responsibility of each defender in the coverage, and he taught me how to beat them. When he taught me that, it slowed the game down. You know, what happens is a lot of times people, you know, the game is fast, right? The game is mm-hmm. fast, and it gets faster at every level, right? Mm-hmm. But as a quarterback or even as a player, you can slow the game down the more you know. So the more I learned about the game, the more I was taught about the game, the slower the game began, became, right? And so Coach Reeves taught me this. He taught me how to read coverages. He taught me 
um, how to how to throw hots. He taught me how to read blitzes. He taught me how to throw sight adjust, and he taught me how to how to study. You know how to sit down and look at the plays that I have and go over every single possible thing that could happen in, in those plays. And so when he taught me that, it slowed the game down in college, and even when I went to the pros, it slowed the game down because I was I had already done the homework prior to playing the game so that when I got in and played the game, it was slow. It was slower than what it could have been if I didn't know what I was doing. So I think, you know, obviously when you go from from high school to college to pro, it speeds up. But, you know, your awareness of the game can match that and it can slow it down a lot more, a lot more than what people uh, really realize. For sure. So I'm curious to get your uh, <clears throat> your take on this, Anthony, because I'll be honest, I was born in 1990, so I didn't get to watch you, obviously, while you were at South Carolina Live or anything. Yeah. But I've gone back, watched a ton of highlights, and one thing I noticed about you, I'm curious to know, in your opinion, sort of what your playing style was as far as your demeanor, because you took over starting quarterback in 1996 for Carolina, went 131 for 244, uh, you know, threw for almost 2,000 yards, eight touchdowns. Um, but one thing I always noticed about you watching in the highlights, you were always a very, like, level-headed guy. You didn't seem like the rah-rah kind of guy. Like, you know, you threw a touchdown, it was business as usual. You scored a touchdown rushing, mm-hmm. it was business as usual. Is that the way that you played? I mean, were you kind of just like a – you, you come to the field to do your business and leave, really don't get too high or too low type mentality? Or how, how would you describe sort of your playing style on the field? Um. Uh, I think I was a little bit of, of both. I mean, I, I, there were times I, – I remember a time we were playing uh, Mississippi State where um, they kind of rattled my cage a little bit. Um, um, and then there were times where I was kind of cool um, when I was playing. I, 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 I loved to compete. Uh, I was very competitive. Um, I, lo- I wanted to win. Um, I just – you know, I was trying to learn how to, how to deal with it all, you know what I mean, at the time. I think that uh, you know, the you know my my the first year I played, I, w- I had Deuce Staley, and I had uh, Marcus Robinson. I had a few good guys that played in the NFL that helped take a lot of pressure off of me. And um, when I came into my junior year, um, a lot of people really don't know this, man. But when I came into my junior year, um, that's when I had my best year at South Carolina because that, that's when I was actually running the Florida State offense that I wanted to run. That's when he really gave me the keys to the to the vehicle to let me do what I do or do what I was, you know, have fun. And up until the point when I got hurt, which was about the eighth or ninth game of the season, um, me and Peyton Manning were one and two in every statistical court category in the SEC. Like, he and I were battling it out for who was going to be the top dog. And um, either he was one, and I was two, or I was one, and he was two. And see, a lot of people don't really really know that. And um, so I got hurt against Tennessee and missed the last two or three games. Like, that's the last three games. And at the end of the season, I think at that point when I got hurt, we were like either five and two, six and two, or five and three, or six and three, something like that. And at the end of the season, we lost the last three games. And at the end of the season, they fired. John Reeves. Mm-hmm. When they fired John Reeves, they brought in a guy by the name of Chuck Reeves. And he came in with this uh, 1982 or the 83 Clemson offense. 
And we was like, we went from like four wides, three wides to like three tight ends, two tight ends and one receiver. It was was horrendous. Mm. And we went like, I'll put it to you like this. My senior year, it got so bad. This is how bad, this right here is indicative of my senior year. We were playing Ole Miss. And at this particular time, I think we were one and three. And so we went back to the Florida State offense. Now, mind you, we went to the Florida State offense. During that game, I counted for four touchdowns. I had three passing and one rushing. Myself in that one game against Ole Miss. Mm. This is indicative of this is indicative of our year. We have the ball on our one yard line on, on, on our one yard line, and we're coming out. We get in three backs, triple I. Now we're on the one yard line coming out. We get in triple I and hand the ball to the last guy <laughs> for a safety. We lose the game by two points. That was indicative of my senior year at South Carolina. And so that's one of those things, man, that, you know, at the time, you know, as you're going through it, you're trying to, you're trying to, uh, to deal with it the best way you can. But that was probably one of the toughest times uh, that I've had in my playing career. No doubt. And I want to get to your senior career. I want to go back, though, really quickly to your first year, your first full year starting for South Carolina in 96, which was your sophomore year, because, uh, you know, just taking a look, you guys had a pretty solid team that year. I mean, you were talking about your former teammate, Deuce Staley. I think of Jermail Kelly. I believe he was still there. Zola Davis was there. Um, and you guys come out of the gate, beat UCF pretty good. And then there's a, there's a you know, the South Carolina-Georgia game, it feels like it's always a high-profile matchup, always a good game. And you guys come in that one, I believe. I remember watching the telecast. And- Remember them talking about Georgia was heavily favoring that one. You guys come out, sort of shocked the world, beat those guys 23 to 14. I remember Deuce Staley had, I think, like 229 all purpose yards. And obviously, again, this is your second game as the full time starter. Just sort of talk about what you remember from uh, from that night beating Georgia at Williams Bryce like that. Oh, man. Well, uh, I, I wanted to be relaxed. You know, I knew it was a big game, uh, it was a nationally televised game. Um, you know, everybody had been talking about it all week long. So I, I wanted to come out and, and, and play well. I wanted to come out and um, and, and play with them myself. Um, and I, I think I was able to do that. I think the biggest thing for me at that particular time was I didn't want the game to overwhelm me. And, uh, and once the game got started and once we started playing, uh, it became like any other game. Um, I mean, the confidence began to grow. And then plus I had Deuce back there you know, shaking every shaking the whole team and, and, and doing what he was doing. So he really took a lot of pressure off of me. Um, I had big Marcus Robinson out there where I was throwing the ball up to. He was making things happen for me. Corey Bridges was on one side. He was making things happen for me. Um, Zola Davis was out there making things happen for me. So, you know, we had a lot of playmakers. Um, and we and we went out there and we, we shocked the world. Like I said, they came in as favorites and uh, we beat them. Um, um, I had a pretty good game. Um, did pretty well. And so, you know, they were always they were always that that team that um that we looked forward to playing uh, the second game of the season because we knew we felt like you know, that was kind of barometer for for our season. 
how much fun was it was you say playing with a, a guy like Deuce Staley that I'm sure had to take some of the pressure off you at the uh, at the quarterback position? Oh um, man, it was great. The funny thing about it is that you know, at a particular time, Deuce didn't really come up with a come in with a, a, a ton of notoriety or fanfare. You know what I mean? He he was you know, the year before that he was splitting time with uh, Stanley Pritchett, and uh, so he came in, you know, and, and he did when he was doing what he was doing. It really shocked a lot of people. And uh, he's probably one of the most underrated running backs ever at South Carolina. Uh, and, and I, you know, I've been able to play uh, at any le- at every level, right? I've been able to play at every level. I would take Deuce over a lot of running backs that's ever played at South Carolina. And but a lot of people don't really. Un- I had a chance to play with him, and I had a chance to see him. You know, he he was strong. Um, he was shifty, and he had heart. And having him back there, like I said, really took a load off of me because I knew I could hand the ball to him, and I knew that I was going to get three or four yards. No doubt. So, again, talking about that 96 season, you guys had a pretty good squad that year. You look, you beat the Georgia Bulldogs, obviously. You had some close calls, lost to Auburn by four points on the road. Uh, they were a ranked team, obviously had some battles with Tennessee and Florida. But let's move to the Clemson game. Um, at Clemson, they were ranked 22nd in the country. You guys pull off a 34-31 win. Obviously, being a guy from North Carolina, I'm sure the, the Clemson-South Carolina rivalry was a little bit foreign to you. But just sort of talk about, you know, that game, your first time as a starting quarterback at South Carolina, you pick up the win against Clemson. And when did it click for you just how big of a game and how much hatred there was between the two schools? Uh, during the course of the game, but <laughs> 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 I'm listen. Uh, I think that was my first time really realizing the difference between a regular game and a rival game. Um, they were, I mean, they came out like some bats out of hell, and they were full speed, full tilt, doing everything they could to try to hurt you. It was, it was definitely a battle. And it was cold that night. Um, that was the first time I ever was in a, a football game that was that physical, uh, that was that uh, fast um, and that emotional. Uh, and I, I put it to you like this. I was happy to get the first quarter over because <laughs> after the first quarter, then things kind of died down a little bit. No doubt. So, obviously, you talked about, again, your junior season, 1997, was your best in a South Carolina uniform. It's really hard to debate that when you look at the stats. Uh, through 18 touchdowns, passed for 1,685 yards. Um, your best completion percentage as well, yet while you were at South Carolina. I want to talk about, though, that year you suffered an injury. Um, you tore your anterior cruciate lig- ligament in your right knee when it gets the, in the Tennessee game. It's funny, I actually saw the, the picture you put up on Facebook of, I guess, Zola Davis kind of crouched down next to you. Just, you know, talk about how tough that was. You know, when you're in the middle of your best season, you know, obviously in your college career and you go down with an injury. I mean, just how tough what that was that for you, the injury itself, and then coming back from that during the rehab and stuff like that? Uh, I, I was devastated. I was devastated. Um, you know, I had never really had a major injury in, uh, in, in sports, period. Um, uh, from a child all the way up to, you know, when I, was, when I got into college. Uh, probably the most I'd ever had was maybe a sprained ankle. And um, to have something like that happen to me, um, 
you know, I just remember uh, lying on the on the ground, and I just remember asking um, the doctor, um, you know, was it bad? And uh, he never really answered me, but I could tell by the look on his face that it was. So um, I think that, um, you know, it was just, you know, the very next day um, I had the surgery and uh, my parents came uh, down and, um, you know, and they stayed there for the surgery and then they took me back to North Carolina, back to my hometown once it was done. So, I, you know, it, it was really tough. It was really tough. Uh, like I said, I was having a great year. Um, you know, we were winning. Um, we only needed one more win, I think, to get to the um, to be eligible for a bowl. Um, and so that was that was very frustrating. We had a couple big wins against like Kentucky um, when we were underdogs. We actually came back and beat Kentucky. Um, you know, a lot of teams were really uh, starting to respect what the things that we were doing. So I think it, it was really frustrating uh, for me um, when that happened. And then, like I said, going through the rehab and, you know, being that that happened in November, I mean, October, October, November, like October 31st. So being that it happened in October, November, um, you know, I was going to have less than a year to get healthy for the next season. So I was trying to beat time, you know, being able to try to get back to my senior year. So I had a lot going on, man. It was tough. It was difficult. But, um, you know, the only thing I knew was to fight. You know what I mean? That's all I knew. Uh, all I knew was to keep pushing, keep going, and and, uh, and to see what was going to happen. So that's what I did. I just kept, I just kept uh, rehabbing. I just kept uh, doing everything that was asking me to do. And I just knew I was going to try to make it back for the next uh, for the next season. And then just to follow up on that question again, like I said, I, you know, I was on your Facebook page, and you have that picture up of you. It's you laying on the ground, and Zola Davis next to you, and. Uh, it seems like a pretty obviously a, a, an intimate moment, you know, a friend caring for a friend. Just kind of talk about again. You had a lot of great teammates while you were at South Carolina, but you know, just just talk about your relationship with uh, another big time playmaker that you had on your offense, Zola Davis. Yeah, so um, you know, I, I tore my ACL, MCL, meniscus, and two hamstring tendons, and when I was down there, you know, I, I came in with Zola. Uh, Zola and I were the two uh, prize recruits to come in that year. And we were roommates. Um, you know, we got up in the morning together to go work out. You know, he, we stayed on each other. We pushed each other. Um, uh, you know, so when he saw me down, now one, of the, one of the things that we always said was that if we ever stayed on the ground, then we were seriously hurt, you know. If, if there have been times where we get hit hard or something like that would happen and we would just sh get up, shake it off. We might be a little woozy. We'll shake it off and come back to the sideline. But we weren't going to lay on the ground. And so if he ever saw me down and I couldn't get back up, then he knew I was really hurt. So when he saw me down, he knew I was hurt. And that's why he came over there to make sure that I was mentally okay. Because he knew that he knew that he knew that the only way that I would stay down is if I was really, really hurt. Mm -hmm. And so to have somebody like that in your corner uh, that understands you, you know, like you say, you know, we were roommates, so we talked throughout the night about, you know, trying to make it and, 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 and doing what we got to do to try to get to the next level. We talked about that all night long. So to, um, to see me, for him to probably see me down, down there probably hurt him a lot. 
Um, but at the time, it was nothing he could do. I mean, but be be support for me, and that's what he was doing. Like as you look at the picture, everybody else is standing up, right? Mm. But he's the only one that's down with me, right? And to me, like that touched me more than anything, because it's like, you know, he wanted to get down to my level to where I was, so he could look me in my eyes and see exactly where I was. And that really, like I said, that really, uh, really, really stood with me. That's awesome for sure. So moving to your senior year, obviously, Anthony, obviously it didn't go the way you, you guys wanted. You know, won the first game and lost the next 10. Your stats overall were um, pretty good. Uh, but you mentioned sort of the the, the coaching changes that had happened, the, the change in offense your senior year. And, you know, I'd imagine you'd cite a lot of the, the struggles that senior year to that. Uh, Brad Scott obviously fired at the end of 1998. Lou Holtz hired going into uh, into 1999. You know, we had your your buddy, your former teammate John Abraham on the show, and he had his opinions on Brad Scott. And I think I think a lot of South Carolina fans do as well. But I mean, overall, what were your? I mean, what was your overall opinion on Brad Scott? And would you cite that 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 change in philosophy and offense? Would you cite that as the reason that 1998 didn't go the way that you guys wanted it to? Well, I think the change in the offense was his demise. Um, I, I know I, he, I, he had a great scheme. You know, his offensive scheme, well, he had a great scheme. Um, where I think they actually fell short was in the recruiting process. Mm-hmm. I just think they fell short in the recruiting process. They weren't bringing in enough talent to be able to play at an SEC level, right? Um, I think his offensive scheme that he had prior to Chuck Reedy, um, the stuff that he was doing with my with, with uh, Tannehill and myself uh, for the first three or four years, I think he was on the right path with that. Um, but he didn't bring in the right kind of talent uh, to match the, to match that. And then my senior, like I said, he changed up the philosophy a little bit with the Chuck Reedy style, which we didn't have. Uh, you know, it was. You know, it was time to to, to shelf what Coach Coach Reedy was was trying to install. Um, but you know, like I, again, you know, I'm, I'm very thankful for Coach Scott because Coach Scott gave me the opportunity to to be with Coach Reedy, to be to to play uh, in the SEC. I mean, to be with Coach Reeves, to play in the SEC, to um, to learn about the game of football. Um, and so I'm very thankful for the opportunity that he gave me. Like, I can't sit here and bash him um, about anything. You know what I mean? I, you know, I, I have my opinion on what I think that he probably went wrong or whatnot, but I can't bash him, would never bash him about, about anything that, um, that he was able to come. I mean, you got to remember, what people, you know, people are quick to bash him, right? But at the same time, you know, he won the first ever bowl game for the university. Now, there have been a lot of coaches that come through the university. Mm. Right, and he was the first coach to ever win a bowl game at the university. But people, you know, people overlook that. They don't want, they don't want to talk about you know, that aspect of it. Um, and he brought in a great, a, a great scheme to, to to be able to do so. So, um, you know, I'm, I'm thankful for Coach Scott. Um, like I said, I just, I just felt like in those couple areas, it's probably where he, it's probably where his demise was. You know, his his lack of uh, being able to recruit and and um, the ability that I uh, know about my my senior year when he changed out the offense from and got rid of Coach Reeves and brought in Chuck Reedy and and changed the offense. I think those got probably his two biggest mistakes um, while he was there. 
For sure. So, you know, we talked about your relationship with Steve Tannehill, obviously, who groomed you to be the starting quarterback at South Carolina. You obviously groomed the next starting starting quarterback at Carolina, which was Phil Petty, who went on to win back-to-back Outback Bowls of a pretty successful career himself. Just sort of talk about your relationship with him and, you know, what you think you were able to pass on to him after, after you left South Carolina. Yeah, well, I, I think Phil was a very um, mature kid. I mean, he was very mature. Um, my senior year, um, after, especially after that Ole Miss game, they started subbing myself. They started subbing him in with me, and so we started subbing out a lot because they were getting him ready, getting him ready to play uh, for the next year. And he was able to come in and do a great job, man. He did a great. He had a great uh, knack at uh, going through progressions, and he actually um, helped me. Uh, I was able to watch him go through certain types of progressions. We had like uh, these spacing routes, and he was able to uh, go from one side to the other. And I was able to watch him actually learn from him on that. So he did, he he was very mature. He was well coached. He was uh, he was a precision quarterback. He was an intelligent quarterback, and I knew he was going to have a great career. Um, I felt like he was going to have a great career, and he did. So, um, you know, that was one of those things that I and I. The, the best thing I could try to teach him at that particular point, especially with the way that senior year was going, was I was trying to teach him what I was hoping he would learn from me was the humility of the game. You know what I mean? Like never get too high, never get too low. Always stay within yourself and always believe in yourself. You know what I mean? No matter what. Because I think the very next year they end up going like 0-11 or something. So he went 0-11 the next year, and then he ended up winning two Outback Bowls. So he was able to experience those those lows and those highs. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? You know, he, he you know he, they went 0-11, then he came back and went two Outback Bowls. So he was able to experience them both. And he did a, he did a great job at, at, at uh, handling it, you know. He, uh, and so I, I think that um, yeah, I was – I'm happy and was proud to have um, – to, to see him win. You know what I mean? To see him win those two outback balls, I was probably the happiest of anybody when they won it because of the guys and the relationship with the guys that I had made on the team that were still playing. For sure. So you talked about, Anthony, just how much of a competitor you are. Again, I don't I don't want to spend too much time harping on the 98 season, but, you know, how tough, I guess, was it for you personally during 98? Because, again, I mean, you're, you're coming off an injury. You're a guy that's trying to play in, in the National Football League. And, I mean, I, I you know, I think I can – I think you'd probably agree it's a little bit tougher to get noticed by, you know, teams when you're not when you're on a team that just isn't very good. I mean, it's hard to shine in those situations. But I mean, as a competitor as you are, how were you able to stay positive and grind through the ninety eight season? I mean, I didn't like I said, I didn't know anything else. I didn't know anything else other than to compete. You know, I mean I was gonna play, you know, no no matter what, I was gonna play. Um and so and I, I just I just went along and through the season. Um and like I said, at that particular point, especially after that old Miss game, that began to substitute myself with uh, with Phil. So, you know, at that particular point, you know, it was a lot of uh, mental stress on me because, you know, here I'm at a point now where I went from being one of the top quarterbacks in the league to being a guy that's being subbed out, um, not even playing full games. And so that was kind of what began to happen to me uh, during my senior year. And uh, I never forget after the Clemson game, uh, we ended up going to Clemson. We obviously we lost, and I remember coming back to my my apartment and just thinking like, wow, like 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 what I, what do I go from here? Like what what next? Like I can't believe what happened just happened. 
you know, I can't believe we just like lost ten straight games. Like we just lost ten straight games in a row. And um, so then February came, and I get a letter from the combine. Right, I get a letter from the combine, and they invite me to come to the combine. So I'm like, wow, I'm getting an invite to go to the combine. I was, I was amazed. And I tell people this all the time. I tell people this story. Um, I go to the combine in '98, right? And in '98, there was a big quarterback class, right? They had Donovan McNabb, they had Achilles Smith, they had Dante Culpepper, they had some couple guys out of uh, uh, out of California. They probably had eight, nine guys that were drafted, eight, nine quarterbacks that were drafted. Me and this guy from uh, uh, where was he from? I think he was from he was from an HBCU school. It was me and him, and we lit it up at the combine. I'm talking about by far the best two quarterbacks out there. No, I'm by far, and so much so that the scouts had was talking about me being a a, a late first, second round draft pick. We tore it up that that bad that much, and what happened was. And this is this is a story that very few people know. What happened was, I went into the physical, and when I went to the physical, every team that saw me failed me on my physical. And I didn't know that until my agent called me in for a meeting at South Carolina with another doctor. And doctor, they sat me down in the office, and they told me that. They had four teams, well, my agent told me that he had four teams that wanted to bring me in and redo my knee, let me sit out, and then try out for the next season. But that all the teams have failed me, all the teams have failed me on my physical because my my ACL wasn't tied down properly to begin with. Hmm. So I played my whole senior year on a knee that was that had not been reconstructed correctly. That I didn't know about until I went to the combine, and they told me about it after I had went out there and performed well. This is a true story. Wow. I mean, what what was your what was your initial thoughts when that happened? I have to imagine you have to be like in shock at that point. I was in shock. I was in shock. I was. I didn't know what to do. I, I mean, I was. Just, I, I had everything running through my mind. You know, lawsuits. Um, uh, I'm looking at my agent like, hey, are you serious? Because I, I, just, I, mean, I just went to the combine and ripped it up. So much so that I went back from being a, like a second to a late first rounder. And just like that, it was taken away because my knee surgery was done incorrectly. And um, so I was, I, I was, my, my head was spinning. So my coach, so my, my my agent asked me what do I want to do. Like I said, like I say, there was there were four teams that wanted to uh, bring me in and redo the surgery and just let me sit out for the whole year, rehab for the whole year, and then come back the next season. I told my agent, I was like, well, well, the problem with the lawsuit was this: it was that they said it was going to be hard for me to prove that he did a, a, a the surgery incorrectly because I had played a whole year on it. And it's also hard to get other doctors to uh, 
to testify against other doctors. Right. So, so that was what I was battling with that. So I thought that was a lose-lose. And so I said, well, what I do is, you know, I played my senior year on it. You know, I, I felt like I was fine. I was like, let's see what happens. Right. I said, let's see what happens. So he said, okay, let's do it. So we go into the, you know, into the draft and uh, I don't get drafted. And I get one call from Pittsburgh. I get one call from Pittsburgh. I go to Pittsburgh. Um, there's Cordell Stewart, Mike Tomzak, Pete Gonzalez, and myself. And uh, go there and make the team. I mean, it was so bad. I mean, I made the team. I made the roster. Man. I, not, I made the roster as an undrafted free agent with a torn ACL, MCL meniscus hamstring, ten, two hamstring tendons off a of one in ten team. And I remember playing in the preseason games in Pittsburgh and reporters asking me, how in the world did your team go, did your team go one in 10 with you at quarterback? <laughs> I was asked that more than once by multiple reporters. That how did you guys go one in 10 with you at quarterback? And I would just always tell them it was bigger than me. I would never go into more detail. I was like, it was bigger than me. Right, and so I end up making that squad. Like I said, I end up, you know, the, the way I came into the league, it was going to be hard. It's hard to make it as an undrafted free agent. But the way I came into the league, and to last, it says a lot about, uh, you know, my perseverance, uh, and about, I got like I told you before, all I knew was to was to fight, you know, to just just to keep pushing, you know, even my senior year. All I knew was to keep pushing. You know, it was it was a horrendous year, but all I knew was to keep going. Just you, you just gotta keep playing and just see what happens. So my whole NFL career was just keep pushing, mm. just keep pushing, <clears throat> and that's what I kept doing. I just kept pushing. I know I, I I went from one team to the next. I went from Pittsburgh to Dallas, played there. I got cut from Dallas because of my knee. That was the last one. Every every time I, I got so I got released twice. Both times I got released was because of my knee. Pittsburgh released me because of my knee, and Dallas released me because of my knee. Now, when I was in Dallas, and I realized that they were going to release me because of my knee, I had it redone in Dallas. I had Dallas's experience, so Dallas had to pay for me to have my knee reconstructed, and they had to, you know they had to continue to pay my salary and the rehab, and so um, but I got it redone in Dallas. Um, um, in oh, on 2000 or yeah, at the end 2000, I got it redone in Dallas. Or 2000, 2001, one of those. They, I had it redone in Dallas. No doubt. So I want to get into your NFL career in just a second, but I have one more question regarding your college career because yeah. I think it's something. It's, it's something very intriguing to me, and I, I'm curious to get your take on it. Maybe it's something I'm fabricating in my head, but. Do, do you ever feel like – I know, I, you know, I saw your, your header on Facebook again, and I, I've seen anybody that's seen the new indoor facility. Obviously, your, your mural is up in the quarterback's room, which I think is absolutely awesome. But my question to you is this. Do you ever feel like your career at South Carolina was somewhat maybe overshadowed? I, I sort of view you as like an underrated guy, underappreciated guy, because you're in between yeah. Steve Tannehill, who was so decorated at South Carolina, and then Phil Petty, who – had the successes he had. I mean, do you ever feel that way that you were a little bit underappreciated, undervalued at South Carolina? Cause 
again, me being someone that wasn't able to watch you necessarily, you know, in your prime at Carolina, you know, just be completely honest and transparent. You weren't the first guy I ever heard about, right? But I mean, you take a look back at your career and right. especially what you did professionally. Um, you know, South Carolina hasn't had many quarterbacks start a game in the NFL, much less I believe you started one in the playoffs as well. I don't think that's ever happened. So, I mean, do you do you do right. you ever get that vibe? Obviously, that I mean, or do you ever get that vibe that maybe you were a little bit, you know, underappreciated at Carolina? Yeah. What you did? Most definitely, most definitely. I, I mean, I had a, you know, I had a grudge for a long time, um, just based off what I just told you. You know, I you know I just felt like, and I knew I was better than 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 what uh, was being represented on myself. I knew I was better than that. Uh, my NFL career is an example of that. You know, people don't pay you to play this game because they like you. They play you, they pay you to play this game because you, you're good. You have a skill set. You know, obviously, if somebody was better, they would have did more than what I was able to do in the NFL. And Nobody has been able to do it yet. And so, you know, I, I, do, I did feel that way. And that's why that mural meant so much to me. Because, I know, I remember going to my senior banquet. And they'll forget this. I remember going to my senior banquet and not being recognized uh, at all. At all, period. The only person until until um, I was recognized by Lou Holtz. Lou Holtz saw the way that the banquet was going, and he personally stood me up himself and recognized me and told me how good he thought I was and told me that if he had me at Notre Dame, that he would have won a national. i never forget those words. That if he would have had me at Notre Dame, he would have won another national championship. And he stood me up in front of everybody and did that. I remember that because the entire time I'm sitting in the banquet. Now, here I am. I've started for this team for three years. I was just one of the best quarterbacks in the country my junior year. And I went from that to, to like I said, when we went one and ten, I went from that position to I was in my banquet my senior year and didn't get recognized at all, like nothing. And so – I just remember sitting in that banquet, just feeling the way I was feeling. And I was ready to leave and all that stuff. And so, um, you know, I, I do feel that way. You know, and that's what I mural meant so much to me because it was some, I, somebody, rec someone recognized what I did. Right? I was, I was recognized for what I did. And, uh, and the, even though I played in the NFL and all that stuff, you know, no matter where you go and what you do, you know, you still want to feel appreciated for what you were able to do. You know what I mean? And I just feel like, like I told you, man, my junior year, you know, me and Peyton Manning were one and two in every category in the SEC before I got hurt. And then my senior year came and it just tore up everything. And so, yeah, I do feel that way. Um, <clears throat> because like I said, like you just said, you know, you know, nobody else has been able to do what I've done. It's not like South Carolina is, is, is putting out number one draft picks year after year. And they're not putting out hardly any draft picks in the quarterback position year after year. And so I was able to go in undrafted and play for 10 years. Not only played for 10 years, I started a ton. I started in Dallas. I started in Baltimore. 
sort of turned and led Baltimore to the playoffs, like you said. And so, yeah, I do feel that sometimes, but I, I, I understand. You know what I mean? I understand it. I was able to let that grudge go after a few years. After a few years, and I was playing in the league, and, you know, you start being in the locker room, and guys are talking about their colleges, and they're, you know, going back and forth. You know, guys from Miami or fussing with guys from Florida State. You know, I wanted to have something to talk about in that particular point. Um, you know, that's when we had kind of started winning a little bit, you know. So I began to talk about South Carolina beating Ohio State and <laughs> South Carolina beating other teams. And so I kind of got over the grudge I had, um, you know, you went from the surgery to my senior year and all that stuff. And uh, I was able to let it go. But like I said, that, that the mural, uh, it was definitely something that really made me. Uh, and that's what I love about Muschamp. You know, because Muschamp sent me that. Coach Muschamp sent me that. And uh, he didn't have to, you know, he sent that to me um, to show me respect. And I really appreciated that, you know, um, even when Spurrier was, was, was coaching, Spurrier was, was big on inviting me back. You know, Spurrier really wanted me to come back. He, he was really big on inviting me back, getting me involved with the guys, having me around. So Spurrier did it. Um, and like I said, Coach Muschamp did it. Uh, and uh, Coach Holtz, like I said, he stood me up in the, uh, in the, in the uh, banquet. And he recognized me. But, yeah, um, you're 100% right. For sure. So, I'm just curious, again, you talked about you bounced around a lot of different teams, obviously Pittsburgh, Dallas, Baltimore, Cincinnati, New York, and had your successes at each. But just kind of overall, you know, I talked about earlier the, the, the way the game changes from you go from high school to college, college to pro. Describe to the people that will never obviously have the opportunity to do so. I mean, what is it like to be a starting quarterback in the NFL? Because we hear all the time, you know, the league is a business and, you know, we hear certain things about the NFL, but from someone that has actually done it on the field, I mean, how would you describe that, what it's like to be a starting quarterback in the National Football League? Oh, it's great, man. It's, it's a level of, of, of faith that uh, the, the coaching staff or the organization has in you. They're telling you that they believe in you, you know what I mean? And, uh, and that's, you know, that's incredible. Um, uh, especially, like I said, for me, especially the way that I did it, you know, I came in undrafted, uh, you know, torn up knee, uh, one in ten team, and these guys said, "We believe in you enough that you can, you are starter in the NFL, like you can start in this league." You know, so for me, it was tremendous. It was a, it was like a, um, uh, I was being approved. It was like an approval to say, yeah, "Man, you, you, you're really good." You know, you you really can play this game. Like, you know, you're you're not a guy that is just you know just holding up a spot on the on the roster. You're a guy that can actually come in and play. And and the reason why I even started playing, you know, Dallas gave me my first chance to play. But the reason why I started playing in in Baltimore was because the defensive players went upstairs to the to to the to the to the um, front office and asked them to let me play. I'm talking about Ray Lewis, Ed Reed, Terrell Suggs. Those guys went to Ozzy because of what I was doing to them in practice. They went to Ozzy themselves and was like, we want Anthony to start. Because what happened was Kyle Bowler, who they had drafted in the first round from Cal, got hurt. Right? So I was the third-string quarterback. So Kyle Bowler was Kyle Bowler. Chris Redmond and then myself, they had, I was third string. And Cal got hurt. 
against St. Louis, and Chris went in and didn't play so well. Mm-hmm. And so for the next game, the players went to the front office and routes to the front office that they wanted me to be the starter. And that's how I began. That's how I started um, starting in, 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 um, in Baltimore was because of the players. So um, when, when stuff like that happens, when things like that happen, of course it makes you feel good you know, as a player because you know all the hard work you put in and you may know the trials and tribulations you've been through, right? And so um, when players do it, it means, uh, it means uh, a lot more. No, absolutely. So your career, I'm curious, your career in Dallas, I mean, you you were obviously inserted in the lineup. Troy Aikman suffered a concussion, um, played in a big win against Washington, obviously a huge rival of the uh, the Dallas Cowboys. But I mean, what as far as what was the uh, what was the media pressure like in Dallas? Because I mean, there, there's there's a difference in being a starting quarterback on an NFL team and being the starting quarterback of the Dallas Cowboys. I mean, how, how would you describe that? I was amazing, man. I grew up as a Dallas Cowboy fan. There you go. Um, yeah, I grew up as a Dallas Cowboys fan. So, you know, when I was called to, to start, it's funny, you know, uh, when I went to Dallas, I was on a practice squad for 10 weeks. This is how the business works, right? So I came from Pittsburgh to Dallas. I got to Dallas uh, during the first game of the week. So I got there like on a Monday for the first game of the week. I didn't do any uh, OTAs or any summer camp. First game of the week. So for the first 10 weeks of the season, I'm on a practice squad. And I'm running routes. I'm playing DB. I'm running down special team. I'm doing whatever they want me to do in practice, right? So I'm on the, I'm on the practice squad. Well, after the 10th game of the season, I get a call from Miami. Miami wants to bring me up to their team and put me on the roster. Well, Jerry calls me. And Jerry's like, well, Anthony, we really like you. We don't want you to go anywhere. We want you to be a cowboy. So I'm like, okay, I'm going to stay here and be a cowboy. They left me up the sixth game, right? I mean, I mean, they left me up. Left me up. We got six games left. They left me up. And I start the last five. <laughs> now, mind you, I was just running routes and, and doing everything else. I start the last five. So for the last five games of the season, we're playing against the top five defenses in the league. And I'm a starting quarterback. The pressure, the pressure was enormous. Um, but I was able to deal with it. You know, I mean, for some reason, I, I, I just, I think, you know, I, I, I did like meditations and, um, and prayers and stuff to try to keep myself from getting overwhelmed with the situation. But there's a lot of pressure being a Dallas Cowboys fan. I mean, Dallas Cowboys um, player, because there's so many Dallas Cowboys fans, Mm. right? There are more Dallas Cowboys fans than you can ever imagine. Right. And so I didn't, I didn't realize how how many Dallas Cowboys fans there were until I retired. Right. Once I retired, because everybody, when they remember me, most people remember me from the Dallas Cowboys, right? And mm-hmm. so I'm like, wow, there's, there's a ton of Dallas Cowboys fans out here, more so than anything else. So the Dallas Cowboys in Pittsburgh. So, um, you know, the amount of pressure there is to be a Cowboy player is tremendous. And so all eyes are on you. You're being critiqued at all times. And uh, it comes with the territory of being a Cowboy. For sure. So, kind of, uh, kind of an off the wall story here. Your, your time in Baltimore, um, your first start in Baltimore. You guys lose the Miami Dolphins, but I, I believe it was the next week, the Seattle Seahawks yeah. game. Um, yeah. You, you basically went off through four touchdowns, three hundred nineteen passing yards, forty four to forty one. Crazy game. But 
more of the story of the game I was reading, I certainly want to ask you about is uh, Ravens head coach Brian Billick gave your game, the game ball to your wife, actually, for waiting until after the game to, uh, to go into labor. Can, can you talk about that a little bit? Yeah, man, it was crazy, man. We, we, <laughs> we, uh, we had the big win, and then uh, uh, my wife, at the time, she goes into uh, she goes to the hospital, and, and uh, she's trying to hold off. <laughs> and uh, so, you know, she um, so she ends up having my uh, my second child. Um, uh, and uh, it, it was a big deal, man. It was, it was, you know, it was all over ESPN, all over the local uh, radio and, and television and stuff. And, um, and uh, yeah, she got the game ball. She actually got a game ball. He gave – when I came in, when we came in on uh, on Monday, you know, I'm thinking he's going to give me the game ball. I'm like, yeah, hey, we got a game ball. He was like, yeah, this is for your wife. <laughs> I was like, okay, okay, okay. So, she, she actually – she got a game ball. And, uh, and like I said, she's uh, giving my second child. And, uh, and, uh, and that, that's been 15 years ago now. Mm. Crazy. So, so, Anthony, while you didn't start the game, I certainly want to ask you about the 2007 season. You were, you were signed with, as a free agent with the New York Giants. Um, obviously, the backup to Eli Manning. You are also with Tim Hasselbeck and Jared Lorenzen, but you're the third-string quarterback. I, either way, you played in one of the most memorable – or you were in one of the most memorable Super Bowls of all time, Super Bowl 42. Obviously, the uh, immaculate reception, as they call it. You guys defeated the uh, – the undefeated New England Patriots. I remember everybody had New England that game. You guys were able to pull it out. And, I mean, you're a Super Bowl champion. I mean, how how awesome – you know, again, I, while I know you would have loved to have been on the field, I mean, how awesome was it to at least end your NFL career with the Super Bowl ring? Hey, man, listen. Hey, it was unbelievable. Uh, and I was the backup, too. I won third string. Like, uh, third string stopped after Baltimore. <laughs> I was never gotcha, – I was gotcha, no longer okay. third string. So, I was second string. Um, but – um. I mean, it, it was unbelievable, man. It, it, it was great. Uh, I, I tell you, man, the the ride to the Super Bowl was was crazy. You know what I mean? From Tampa to Dallas, and then going into Green Bay, that was might have been the coldest game I've ever been in in my life. And then playing against the Pats in the Super Bowl, that that whole we would call the Road Warriors. That whole ride that we that we went on was unbelievable. I mean, it was just Game after game was an upset. I don't know if Tampa game was an upset, but we were playing at Tampa, so I guess it wasn't upset. But the Tampa game was crazy. The, the Giant, I mean, the uh, Cowboys game was crazy. But before we played the Cowboys, they, it was said that Jerry had already bought uh, the NFC Championship uh, ticket games. I mean, tickets for the game <laughs> for, for certain people, right? Mm. So he had already bought, bought tickets. That was the word in our locker room. Then we ended up beating them and then going to Green Bay, playing against Brett Favre in the, in, in the Packers. And I'm talking about it must be negative 20 and negative 30 degrees out there. I'm talking about it was freezing. And and Eli is out there throwing darts. I mean, he's out there throwing darts. And we're moving the ball up and down the field. And we end up winning with the field goal, right? So we win that game. Next thing you know, we're playing against a mighty pass. Now, mind you, we, we had just lost to the pass. Uh, in that last regular season game of the, of the year. And now it was a good game. Now, it wasn't like they blew us out. But we fought them tooth and nail and almost beat them. So we end up playing them in the Super Bowl. Nobody's giving us a chance. Everybody thinks that they're, they're going to just, you know, it's going to be a lapper, a lapper, and they're going to just walk right through us like we're not even, not even there. And the next thing you know, boom, the helmet catch happens. 
the helmet catch happens, and it's a wrap, man. We just we win the Super Bowl. Um, you know, I got my Super Bowl ring. I got my key to the city. We have the big parade. I mean, it's a whole big deal, man. It was unbelievable. It, that's you know the climax of my career. Like, you know, I've been through so much in my career from college, even all the way to the pros, and then to be blessed to get to a point where I can actually be a part of that big ceremony and the whole deal. It was like, you know, it really capped it off. Do you still watch a lot of football, watch a lot of lot of uh, NFL, I mean, college, even South Carolina, but I mean, as a guy that played in the NFL, do you still watch a lot of it or no? Yeah, yeah, I do. I do. I still watch it. I watch a lot of it. I, you know, um, I like to watch it because I'm, I'm like um, – I'm creating a, a, a QB academy, right? So I'm creating mm-hmm. a quarterback academy. And uh, I like to uh, – I like to observe the game so I can continue to sharpen my knowledge to make sure that, you know, I can continue to, to teach the kids that I'm training um, because, you know, in order to be successful at this game, you have to have three A's, right? So I call it the, the, uh, the triple A, right? Uh, you have to have awareness, right? You have to have anticipation and you have to have accuracy, right? And so I'm always watching I'm always studying. I'm always trying to learn different techniques, different things that I'm seeing people doing. I watch the best. Uh, I love. I really love watching Drew Brees right now because I think Drew Brees is doing so much with the least. You know what I mean? As far as his right. eyes and you know what I mean. Mm. I think he's doing so much. You know, so I love watching. Uh, I love studying it, and uh, I love taking what I can get from them and then passing it on to the next generation. For sure. So. You know, obviously your career ends. You actually suffered a back injury in 2008, which it's funny. I was looking again. Your career, I mean, you overcame adversity. There's no doubt because all the injuries, the knee injury in college, you had to have a – you had a torn labrum in Baltimore that you had to get fixed. And then the back injury obviously finally kind of, I guess, the last blow, if you will, sort of knocks you out and you decide to announce your retirement. Um, after that long career, I'm sure it was a little bit easier after you win the Super Bowl in 2007 to make the decision to step away. But when you did announce your retirement, you know, when you look back on it, uh, you know, how, how hard was it, I guess, to step away from the game of football? Uh, you know what, man? It, it, it was tough on one end, and then it was like uh, a relief on the other, mm-hmm. right? Um because of everything I had been through, you know what I mean? I had seen the the ugliness of the profession uh, all the way from college all the way to the pros. And so, um, you know, I, I miss the camaraderie. I miss being with the guys. I miss being in the locker room. I miss, um, you know, those game checks. Uh, <laughs> but... Uh, <laughs> You know, but uh, it, it was a um, it was a relief at, at the same time because it was like you know, I actually had made it to the other side. You know, what I mean, there was a lot of uh, uh, trials and tribulations. I had to climb a lot of mountains, um, but I made it. You know, what I mean, uh, with all odds against me, I was able to make it. And uh, so, so I was I was happy with what I had done, and uh, I was ready to move on to the next phase. So, random question for you, Anthony. What did, were just because we just had him on the show? Were you ever able to uh, to face John Abraham in, in the NFL, your your former teammate? Or, yes. Yeah. Did he yes. ever? Did he ever get you, or were you able to stay uh, stay on your feet? Uh, he he almost got me once, but they blew the whistle. <laughs> 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 but 
man, he almost got me for a, a strip fumble too. We were playing against the Jets. I was playing for the Ravens, and um, I uh, I came off the edge. It was like I think it was a bootleg or something, and um, he wrapped me up. They blew the whistle, and then he tried to strip the ball. When he tried to strip the ball, then one of the other guys picked it up, but the whistle was blown dead. But yeah, he almost got me. You know, I mean, he was always a problem. He was a problem in college. <laughs> he was. He was a problem in college. That's why, listen, that's why I kind of took him under my wing because I knew he was good. I knew he was legit good. Like, mm. like he, I knew he was NFL good. Mm. And so I needed, you know, the old saying goes like, you know, iron sharpens iron, you know what I mean? And big, big dogs run with big dogs. And so I knew he was a big dog. I knew he was a player, you know what I mean? And so you want to, as a player, when you see another player like that, you try to uh, attach to them, you know what I mean? Because those are the people that when the going gets tough, you look to. So anytime I was, you know, he's only one man, right? So, But anytime I needed to play, I would look to John. Like, John, I need for you to go out and I need for you to give me a strip, a strip sack, you know, um, I need for you to make a big play. You know, I need for you to do something. And he'd be like, okay, 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 okay. And he would go out and do the best he could. You know what mm-hmm. I mean? They would probably double, double them and them cutting them and everything else. But, you know, I was, you know, I always thought, I knew he was a, a player. Uh, and, and obviously, you know, he went on to the NFL and had a great career and a long career. And he really is a, is a Hall of Famer, really. So, um, you know, I, no, I, was, I was thankful to play with somebody like that. Who would you say is the best wide receiver you ever got to throw the ball to? Oh, man. Wow. Hmm. I guess you would have to put – are you talking about in, in the pros? Or in, in, in NFL, no. yeah. We'll say, we'll say NFL. Oh, NFL? Oh, oh, oh NFL? Oh. Probably uh... – okay, so I, I go with wide receivers. The best – the best – the best wide receiver I had to throw to probably, <laughs> it'll probably be Derek Mason. Mm. Derek Mason. Derek Mason was he, he was a he was a horse. Derek Mason was a horse. People don't really realize it though. But if I had to pick a guy, I would take Derek. Um, Marcus. Marcus Robinson. Um, um the best core would have probably been in Cincinnati when I had when I was out there with uh Hoosh and, and Chad. Um they were probably the best core receivers. Um the toughest receiver would probably be Hans Ward. Mm-hmm. I mean they're different categories, you know what I'm saying? Mm-hmm. Um but but the per the one that could probably do it all was probably Derek Mason. You know, he 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 was he was the guy that he was tough he was gritty. He can he 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 would make a play out of no play. He he just he just had it, and I didn't really understand it right when we signed him. I remember when um, he was in Tennessee, and Steve McNair used to talk about him all the time. Steve McNair used to talk about him all the time, and I just could never understood, never understand why he would always talk about Derek Mason. I was like, yo, Derek Mason. Go, Derek was like five, maybe five nine, you know, at five ten at, at the best. Why does he always talk about Derek Mason? Like, how's he the that guy? Until I played with him in Baltimore, and 
he was he's probably the most underrated receiver that I've ever seen. He he, he just he just had it. He just had it. Um, and then you got Todd Heap. Well, he's a tight end, right? Todd Heap was mm-hmm. probably the best tight end I ever threw to. But he was a tight end, so I didn't want to see him. Cause he, you know, he didn't play that position. But you know, those guys are just named. You know, Marcus was a big play guy. Mm-hmm. You know, Marcus, you got to know how to use Marcus. Then, it, and we was just, uh, you know, we was in Baltimore. Marcus, what people didn't realize about Marcus was Marcus is about six four, six five, and Marcus is a track guy that could jump and could catch, right? And so, those kind of guys are the ones that you want to send on maybe three or four routes the whole game. A, a go route, a go route is his primary route, and then you run everything else off of that. Whether it be a comeback, whether it be a dig route, whether it be a hitch. Or be a quick out. Everything else is played off as his go route because he's so big and he's so fast. That when we got into Baltimore, and anytime I saw, that's when we started scoring so many points. Mm-hmm. It's because we were running, like prior to me getting in, we had Jamal back there running the ball a lot. And so we was running the ball, running the ball. So what people started doing before I got in was they were packing the box. But when I got in and they were packing the box, I knew about Marcus. I don't, I don't think Carol really knew about Marcus. But I did. So when they started packing the box, I was like, oh, yeah, please, please pack the box. And I was just throwing up go routes. I was throwing go routes, skinny posts, deep digs, comebacks all day against that man coverage. And was, we were killing them. We were putting up four. And you look at it, if you look at it, we put up 40 points three or four times when I played in Baltimore that year. For sure. So, so we put up forty. Go ahead. No, go ahead. I was just going to ask you a different question. No, I was going to say I, I was going to say we put up forty-four against uh, Seattle. Then I think we put up forty-four against um, uh, San Fran, mm-hmm. and then we put up thirty or forty against one of the other teams. For sure. So I just wanted to go back to something you mentioned earlier, obviously with the mural and Coach Muschamp texting you talking about the current state of South Carolina football. Obviously, I mean, since you were there. Um, South Carolina football obviously has achieved a lot under, you know, Lou Holtz, Steve Spurrier, and now Will Muschamp. Um, I just wanted to get your opinion on, you know, sort of the, I guess, bringing the former players back on campus, getting them involved, getting them recognized. I know they're, they're trying to retire more numbers, and, you know, and I think it's good. They're getting these guys back on campus like yourself, like a John Abraham, like former guys that played at South Carolina. But when you look at the program under Will Muschamp, what are your opinions on the state of Gamecock football right now? And I guess not only what he's doing on the field with the current team, but how he's keeping the uh, the alumni involved as well. I love it, man. I love everything he's doing. I, it's crazy because I was, uh, I think, on Facebook, there's a um, a page called Gamecock Forever or something like that, and somebody said something about they wanted Steve Spurrier back. And <laughs> I just, you're right. I just, um, I love everything that Muschamp is doing, man. Um, um, he's He's a great recruiter. He's recruiting well. Um, he's keeping the, the, the former players involved. Um, he's personal. Uh, he's personable. He's a personable coach. Um, like I said, he he actually sent me a text of the mural before, um, you know, I, before I saw it on Facebook or before anyone else told me about it. He just sent me a picture of the mural and just was like, man, this is like an appreciation for everything you've done for the university. I mean, it made me feel so good. Um, that he did that. And, um, 
you know, I, I just think I, I think the I think the organization is moving, or the, or, the, or the program is moving in the right direction. And I, I think, you know, obviously, you know, you, we're playing in one of the the toughest uh, conferences in, in, in the in the country, but you know, our facilities are starting to match um, that type of competition. You know, I mean, because when you start talking about Georgia, Alabama, Auburn, those guys got got top-notch facilities. Clemson, they got top-notch facilities. And so now our facilities are starting to match that, which is going to bring in better recruits, which is going to make us uh, or give us a chance to be able to compete uh, with the upper echelon guys. So as long as we stay on the path that we are on now, I think we'll be fine. Obviously, he knows his football. Um, you know, he, he knows what he's doing uh, with the game. And uh, we just got to keep playing. Just got to keep playing. Just got to keep getting uh, good recruits and, uh, and, and, and see, where we, you know, see where we end up. I know you said you were a guy you love to play, kind of like in the spread, the old school Florida State offense. How much do you, would you have loved to play in the spread style, kind of the no huddle, hurry up type stuff they play in today? I, th- I think I would have loved it, man. I think I, I think I, I think I would. Uh, you know, it's one of those things where it's like, again, it goes back to the coaching. You know, not knowing what I know now, you know, what I mean, does the coach? Uh, is the coach really going to give me the best opportunity to be successful at the next level? Is he going to teach me uh, the things that I need to know in order to play at the next level? And and really, and honestly, and just just giving you a quick snippet of some of the things that it requires to play at the next level. Um understanding protections, understanding coverages, um, understanding how to redirect protections, understanding how to throw hots, understanding how to throw sights. You know, that's going to give you your best – understanding how to study. That's going to give the quarterback the best chance to be successful at the next level. You know, if, you, if that kid can leave your program being able to do those things, then he's going to put himself in the best position to be successful. So for me, or even my child or, or anybody that I'm training, it's not so much. It's not so much about you throwing the ball uh, forty times a game. It's, I think it has more to do with okay, what are you being taught? Are, are you, is he allowing you to be a quarterback? If you're in a system where the guy is allowing you to be a quarterback, he's allowing you to be able to understand to 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 check plays and to to look at fronts and to identify fronts and to uh, uh, throw height, them throw throw hots and throw sights, then. I'd be like, you know what? Yeah, that's that's a school I want to play at. Do, do you feel like quarterbacks aren't being – because you're obviously a quarterback guru, quarterback guy, obviously a former NFL guy, but do you feel like quarterbacks aren't being developed quite as good as they used to be? Because I know that's a huge gripe people talk about is, you know, quarterbacks in college, a lot of it is sometimes people are just saying, hey, put the best bath, put the best athlete back there and let him kind of work. And really, again, the spread off – I don't want to say it's gimmicky, but it's, it's very uh, – it's like basketball on grass. I've heard a lot of people call it. But, I mean, do you, do you have any issue with the way quarterbacks are being developed at the college level or no? Um, uh, yes, yes, some of them. Yes, yes. I mean, you got to – you know, I don't want – you know, when you start talking about these gimmicky offenses, uh, you know, where the guys, you know, aren't really reading coverages and, you know, you got them out here just uh, doing a lot of read option stuff where you're not really giving them a chance to, to know what they're doing. Um. You know, for me, it becomes a, a – I, I begin to wonder, like, are you are you just trying – are you being selfish? Do you just want to win for yourself? You're not really giving these chance, these guys a chance to, 
be successful at the next level? Or, you know, are you really trying to improve these kids? You know, for me, you know, even with my quarterback academy, when a guy leaves my academy, I want him to, I want to be able to say that I can vouch for that kid, that that kid is ready to play ball. That that kid can walk up to your line of scrimmage, look at preach that read, post that read, and know where to go with that ball. No matter what you do, he knows what to do. And because I know if he can do that in college, he can do it in the pros, mm. right? Now, you know, creating, being accurate and all that stuff, that's, you know, we'll work on that, whatever. But I'm just talking about the mental part of the game. Can you walk up to the line of scrimmage, know that he has a six-man protection, know that you're bringing a Mike and a Sam, and know that if my, both Mike and Sam come, I have a protection problem. Does he know that? Does he know that if I have a six-man protection and you bring real free safety, that I have a protection problem? Does he know that he can redirect the mic call and pick that blitz up? Does he know that? Does he know what three cloud is? And does he know how to beat three cloud? Does he know what cover two is? Does he know how to beat cover two? All these are questions that the quarterback has no, has no answer, have answers to on every single play. On every single play. That's one of the things that Coach Reeves taught me, was that you got to be able to take cover two and draw it up against every single play in the playbook. And then write your one, two, and your three. Where am I gonna go? Oh, write this blitz, draw this blitz up, bring up, bring, bring the Mike Sam blitz, bring the Sam Strong safety blitz. And then I want you to write, do it against every single play and have an answer for that blitz versus every single play. All the kids being taught that. Mm-hmm. You know, and that's one of the reasons why I'm gonna do this academy, because they're definitely not being taught this. They're not being taught anything close to this, obviously, in high school or in middle school or any level. These kids can't tell you anything because the coaches are just telling them what to do. Throw the ball here. Throw the ball there. Look here. Look there. But they don't really have an answer. They have a rhyme or reason why they're looking there. They don't understand that it's quarters. and what they, they don't understand that it's quarters coverage and what the DB's responsibility and the linebacker's responsibility in quarters coverage is. And no why doubt. that play beats. Go ahead. I was just saying, and why this play beats that coverage. Mm-hmm. No, so it's detailed. Yeah, I feel it's like detailed. I just learned, very, very I think I just learned more about the quarterback position than I've ever known in my entire life. So it, it's definitely not as simple <laughs> as drop back and throw the football. <laughs> no, right, <laughs> right. But if you don't know, you don't know. It's like one of those right. things. Like if your kid is going to the school. And my kid is going to school, and I don't know this stuff. I don't know what to ask the coach. So it makes it even more funny than when you've got fans on social media or parents in the stands or whoever in the stands, like, critiquing the, the uh, you know, critiquing a player on the field when you truly just don't have any clue what's going on. Right. Exactly. <laughs> exactly. And that's one of the frustrating things where he talks about, you know, when you, you know, for myself, you know, we were talking about do I watch football, like do I go to games and stuff. That's one of the frustrating things about going to games or sitting in the crowd with, 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 you know, with fans or getting on social media and hearing people rant on Facebook about this play or talking about that play. I don't think Bentley is good. I don't think that guy, Helsinki or Helsinki is good or whatever. They don't think that guy – and, like, it, that kills me because I'm like, ah, uh, like, you guys aren't in those meeting rooms. You don't have – just like when Clemson made the move from uh, – the quarterback that they had, right? Yeah, Bryant uh, to Lawrence. Kelly Bryant to Trevor Lawrence. Right. So when they went from Bryant to Lawrence, you know, everybody was kind of killing. Like, why are you doing this kid? Went to the national championship last year, blah, blah, blah. 
Because you guys aren't sitting in the meeting rooms, man. You guys aren't watching practice every day. Mm. You guys do not. You guys do not know what these coaches know. <laughs> these coaches are watching film every single day. They're seeing this every single day. I think they know what they're doing, brother. Mm. You gotta trust them. But everybody, everybody wants instant gratification. So, no doubt. Well, hey, since you're a quarterback, you're the quarterback guru. I'll ask you about Jake Bentley. Obviously, a guy that. Uh, you know, you're right, has been highly, highly criticized for his inconsistent play. I think there was a stat I was reading. He's thrown – only one guy has thrown more interceptions than him over the last two seasons. But he's played a lot of good football for South Carolina. I mean, threw for over 500 yards against Clemson last year and has, you know, really led South Carolina to some big wins. And I've talked before, I think South Carolina would be in a very, very sore spot without him the past couple of years. But, anyways, when you look at Jake Bentley's game, he's coming into his senior year, and he's a guy that obviously has aspirations to play at the next level. When you look at his game, what do you like? What do you not like? What do you think he needs to work on before he tries to take that next step? No, uh, I mean I, I like it. I think he has a strong arm. Um, uh, he can be a little inconsistent at times as far as his accuracy is concerned. Uh, uh, at times, throws the ball a little high sometimes. Um, but um, I think he's an intelligent kid. Um, you know, I just want to. I mean, I personally think I, I like the kid. You know, I, I've been saying this. I, I said this when I first uh, was watching him play two years ago. Mm. That you know, I liked him. You know, I, I thought he had an opportunity to be successful. Again, um, you know, he, he's being given chances to be successful. He's, um, um, you know, he's he's. Um, they're gonna. It's his job to lose. Um, and so he's gonna have an opportunity to go out there this year. I know, you know, a lot of fans they're already calling for Helinski. Um, to to get in and mm-hmm. you know like you know but that, that's a, that's fans you know fans they always want to back up right they always want to back most up most popular guy on campus and most popular guy on campus is a backup guy <laughs> until he starts playing it's the next guy so <laughs> right so I, I I'm very um I'm optimistic about him I, I think he can do it and a lot of people don't say I think he can do it I think he has the talent the skill he's gonna be a senior this year so he's gonna he's gonna have the confidence. You know, he's been doing this now for, 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 for what, three years? This will be his third year or fourth yeah. year starting? Yeah, this will be – uh, well, so he uh, – it'll be technically his fourth year because he came in late in the season in 2016. So, he, he this will be his fourth year actually playing. All right, so this will be his fourth year playing, so he should be confident. Um, you know, it's no holds bar. He's trying to get to the NFL. You know, this is it. Like, mm-hmm. I put it to you like this, you know, if, if within the first – you know he has a he should have a good roster, right? I haven't really looked yeah, at the yeah, roster. Yeah, yeah, pretty pretty solid. I mean, he lost Debo, but they're they're gonna have a solid roster for sure. Good. So if he has a solid roster, so that means some you know it should receivers. be you no know, some good wide receivers. You know, then he should be the guy. He should be the X factor that can take him over. Hmm. You know, if 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 you have a solid core and you and you really are good, then you can be that X factor to win at least. Two two games that you should win. Yeah. If you're that, and if you're if you're NFL, if you're good enough for the NFL, you should win two games that you possibly shouldn't win. If you know if you're playing with a solid guys. Yeah. Now if you guys aren't that good, that's totally different. But if you got solid guys defensively and offensively, you should be okay. You should be able to win two games you shouldn't win. Yeah, and I, I agree with you 100%. I, it, it's going to be very interesting to watch for sure. Before I let you go, Anthony, I know I've kept you for a while, but before I let you go, 
Um, I'm just curious to get – if you had to look back on your time at South Carolina, what would you say was your favorite memory as a Gamecock, whether it be on the field, off the field, in five points, <laughs> whatever. What would you say is your favorite yeah, memory? Yeah. Oh, man. Just uh, – really, man, just my karate with my teammates. You know what I mean? Just just being with my teammates. You know, one, one thing about it, no matter how my career went there, um, I built a bond. I built a bond with a group of guys that – you know, we we bled together. We you know we we lost together. We won together. Um, uh, you know, we cried together. We suffered together. Everything together. So, you know, uh, the bond that I built with them was probably the best thing that ever happened to me there. No doubt. Well, hey, man, I really do appreciate you taking the time, Anthony. It was a pleasure to have you on again. I feel like I learned more about football in this interview than I ever have in any other interview. And. As I'm, I'm not sure if you knew, it was our 100th podcast, 100th episode. So I appreciate you uh, you being the guest and taking the time to talk to us, man. Let's uh, let's definitely do it again sometime here in Columbia at a South Carolina game. We'd love to meet up. But, you know, then that, let's, uh, let's definitely link and talk some ball sometime, man. Yes, sir, man. That sounds great to me, brother.